0: We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. All right, welcome back to Into the Fray. I apologize. This is coming out midweek, but what I was capable of producing over the weekend wouldn't have been worth listening to. So I hope this was worth the wait. This evening, I'm going to hit a couple of things that have suffered from media blackout. This will be far from a comprehensive list, but there are a couple of things I think are important. So, what to talk about first? How about war-torn Minneapolis? Yeah, that's not sarcasm, hyperbole. It's not an overstatement. Were you aware there's been an autonomous zone in Minneapolis for nine months? It's just an intersection, but it's been christened George Floyd Square. How do you identify George Floyd Square? Oh, it's just that intersection that's been barricaded by armed, out-of-state terrorists, where they've erected a giant communist fist, and where residents live in fear. Fox News reported on some statistics for that part of Minneapolis. In 2019, there were three non-fatal victims of gunshot wounds. In 2020, that number increased to 18, Arundado said, providing statistics to illustrate how grave the situation in George Floyd Square has grown. Regarding shot spotter activations, and I'm going to break in here for a second. A shot spotter is basically a series of microphones posted up around a community that register gunshots. So it'll recognize, the system will recognize gunshots and then alert the police. Regarding shot spotter activations, in 2019, there were seven activations with about 33 rounds detected, he said. In 2020, there were 185 activations with over 700 rounds detected. That's an over 2,543% increase in activations and an over 2,161% increase in terms of the shots detected from 2019 to 2020. From the New York Post, left-wing militants have reportedly turned a memorial site for George Floyd in Minneapolis into a volatile autonomous zone, where police and even other protesters aren't welcome. Kim Griffin... A Minneapolis resident said her nephew, Imez Wright, was gunned down within the zone over the weekend and that activists blocked cops from responding. The police have been rejected by the city. They've been defunded by the city council, who were put in power by the city's residents. Even if they were told to, do you think they're going in there knowing no one has their back? They'd be fools. The city just sabotaged the Chauvin trial with a massive and publicly disclosed settlement. Settlements are basically never public. That's one of the terms of the settlement, to ensure it doesn't encourage more lawsuits. They didn't just leave it open. They broadcast it as loud as they could. Twenty-seven million dollars! Hey everyone, look! Look what we just did! Look, look, look! Look how much money we gave them! Pay no attention to the fact that we're announcing this massive settlement during jury selection for the criminal trial. Thereby tainting the entire jury pool and ensuring zero possibility of a just trial. Back to the article. Those guarding the zone have refused to reopen the area unless the city meets a list of 24 demands, including recalling the county prosecutor and dedicating hundreds of thousands of dollars into fighting racism, supporting affordable housing, and creating jobs, the network reported. The activists want the area to remain closed until trials are held for the three other officers charged in Floyd's death. Those are scheduled for August. Guarding. Yeah. We typically think of guarding as a protective action. They're not protecting anything. This is a hostage situation, complete with a ridiculous list of demands that will never be met. I want to read a bit of what's been going on there, on the ground. Credit where credit's due. I was turned on to this article from the Star Tribune by a segment of the TimCast IRL podcast. Tim and his friends spent a good half hour on this, and if you want to see it, it's the March 17th episode. I'm pretty sure this article is actually one of the very first things that they cover. It's a very, very good conversation with some very good points. So, let's hit the article. From the Star Tribune. Here's an account of some of the events from the past 10 days, on one block adjacent to George Floyd square. March 6th, this is 2021, 5.45 p.m. A 30-year-old volunteer is killed in the zone by gunshot. People in the zone are seen picking up shell casings and throwing them into city garbage, loading the gunshot victim into a car to drive him to hospital. 8.20 p.m., same day. Neighbors call 911 again as multiple shots ring out. March 7th, the next day. Six garages along our alley are hit by gunfire. A car crashes through a fence into a family's backyard. An 18-month-old had been playing by that fence minutes earlier. Same day, 5 p.m., 30 shots hit cars and the windows and siding of at least one house. A zone leader visits a bullet riddled house to comfort the family while others from the zone are observed picking up shell casings behind her. I'm going to break in here for another moment. Quote People in the zone are seen picking up shell casings and throwing them into city garbage. And then, another quote, others from the zone are observed picking up shell casings behind her. That's really important. They're clearing and disposing of evidence. They have organized, to destroy evidence of violent crimes. Okay? Log that away. Back to the article. March 8th, 2.30 p.m. So this is one more day later. Sorry, two more days later. All right, we skipped the 7th. Ooh, they got a quiet day. March 8th, 2.30 p.m. Multiple shots fired. A man is photographed perched atop cup foods with an assault rifle on a tripod. Did we just bring back the Roof Koreans? I think we did. Sorry, back to the article. Zone medics are offered to visit neighbors and provide mental health support to those being traumatized. Let me translate this. LARPing millennials who think they're crusading against all the things their college professors told them were destroying society are trying to provide counseling to the people they've traumatized. How is this being allowed to continue? This is madness. And we're only on day three of the report. 9.50 p.m., same day. 30 shots ring out. A person complains to a neighbor that the neighbor has parked too close to the person's car. A zone occupant with no connection to either party fires multiple shots into the neighbor's car and house. 10.16 p.m. A second 911 call provides a description of the shooter, who remains in the area, appearing to wait for some target. Police have just received a call about a teen and adult shot two miles away. Resources are exhausted. The police do not respond to the call. The shooter in the zone walks away. 10.45 p.m. Third 911 call of the night. As some neighbors are picking up shell casings, people near the first statue in the zone repeatedly yell, get the F out of here. Then a gun is fired from near the first statue. March 12th, 5 p.m. A neighbor trying to access home is met in the alley by three young teen girls leaving the zone, pushing a car with no license plate. They say they ran out of gas. They are asked who the driver is. No answer. They're asked whose car it is. No answer. They're asked where they are trying to go, and they point to a home. A woman comes out of the home and tells them they can't park there. They walk away, abandoning the car. 9.15 p.m., 30 shots from inside the zone. One police squad car arrives. One. When did Minneapolis abandon reason for madness? What about Seattle or Portland or New York? It's time to be done with this. Were you paying attention in January? Did you see with what swiftness the government descended on the people who went to the Capitol building? Clearly, they have the resources. They have the capacity. They can drag people out of their homes in the middle of the night for alleged nonviolent crimes. They can make a triple amputee drag himself into the back of a vehicle with no assistance and without his prosthetics. But they don't seem to be able to handle these leftists. Funny enough, I haven't heard any reports going back to the Capitol... I haven't heard any reports of Pink Hat Lady getting arrested. You know, the one who's clearly seen on multiple videos giving out directions and orders. How about Gas Mask Guy? In fact, I can't say I've heard of the arrests of any of the people who were seen organizing the destruction. Interesting. Why are some people, some incidents, getting a pass? Why are these autonomous zones permitted to remain? People are dying. The answer that lends itself most readily is political expedience. They're useful. They're creating the mayhem necessary for, wait for it, fundamental transformation. Here's another article. This one is on a more recent tragedy at the barricaded intersection. From the Washington Examiner A grim tragedy erupted on Saturday night when another man died near what is now called George Floyd Square, an intersection of blocks that serves as a permanent vigil. This time, No police were involved in the killing of the victim, whose authorities said died after suffering multiple gunshot wounds. Kim, who serves as a medic for the Autonomous Zone, organized by self-identified Black Lives Matter activists surrounding George Floyd Square, said she heard what sounded like 500 gunshots during her shift. Wow. All right, then. Uh, Let's keep going. Makeshift barriers and gates surrounded George Floyd Square as of Sunday evening. No white people were allowed access to the area by local activists out of a supposed concern for the healing of the community, according to Kim. Those passing by the barricades were waved along and asked to leave. I'm going to interject again. Black Lives Matter is a terrorist organization, and they are being allowed to occupy a space and act as an occupying army. Back to the article. Those kinds of restrictions infuriate locals like Teresa Stiller, who lives just a block away. Stiller says she and her neighbors tried working with protesters, respecting memorials, but asking that traffic flow not be disrupted. In response, she and others were met by threats by people who don't even appear to reside nearby, Stiller said. We live here. We want to live here. This isn't their neighborhood. I've had bullets whiz by me right here, Stiller said on the sidewalk outside her home Sunday afternoon. I have post-traumatic stress disorder now. Whenever I hear a loud noise, I either start crying or I duck. Yeah, these people are terrorists. I'm going to say it again. Terrorists! The media is all over calling a bunch of Americans terrorists who aren't actually committing any acts of terror and aren't actually being violent. But they're giving this a pass. Back to the article. Minneapolis's rise in crime is undeniable, with law enforcement and the city council arguing over who's to blame. The homicide rate continues spiking as police officers plead for greater funding, while local politicians call for a reimagining of law enforcement altogether. Yeah, and their imagination is the only place where that works. About 10 minutes away, on the commercial East Lake Street, vacant lots filled with rubble served as a reminder of the economic toll caused by last summer's riots. Those streaming out of the rebuilt Target, which now sports pro-Black Lives Matter slogans on its facade, said they didn't expect many of the destroyed small businesses ever to come back. I have safety concerns for my community. You saw this in May and June of last year, where over and over again, we were seeing cars with out-of-state plates causing disorder, Sarah Homburg, who works in healthcare for the state, said. This is what happens when you vote for corrupt morons. Minneapolis is reaping the consequences of decades of corrupt morons in positions of power. Guess what? This could easily be any other weak-kneed, Democrat-run city. In fact, if they see even a modicum of success in Minneapolis, you bet your pudgy little butt they're going to start popping up in other places too. These people are being allowed to continue their terrorism. Even the feds are getting involved. What are they doing? Observing. From Fox News. The FBI is now helping Minneapolis police monitor an intersection renamed George Floyd Square that has since devolved into an autonomous zone that's brought record levels of violent crime and gun violence to the neighborhood since last May, as local residents and businesses pleaded for help. Oh, isn't that nice? Isn't that special? They're helping monitor. Bulldozers! Bring in the bulldozers! We can all watch what's going on. What we need is law enforcement to do what law enforcement does. Enforce the law. When you have a large group of people gathered together, killing each other, you go in and you stop it. You go in and you take down the insurrection. They have barricades. This is an insurrection. Bulldoze the hostage situation. Arrest those responsible and be done with it. Seattle, Portland, Nashville, New York, Minneapolis, these things keep popping up because we're permitting them. This is not a peaceful demonstration. This is not free speech. This is not petitioning for redress of grievances. This is a hostage situation. A real hostage situation with real people in real fear and a real body count. From another Fox News article, retired Sergeant Betsy Bratner-Smith, spokeswoman for the National Police Association, said, The police are literally barricaded from going in there. Smith said, explaining that the zone, focused at a gas station and convenience store, also includes residential housing. It's very frustrating because it's already a very disadvantaged area to begin with. Then, of course, last May and into summer, there were riots that further decimated it. And now you have this area where the police, who were already short-staffed, aren't allowed to go in. Aren't allowed by who? The police are barricaded from going in there? Think about that for a moment. It's not a matter of police not being capable of going in there and enforcing the law. They're perfectly capable. This has been proven time and again. It's politics. The politics are preventing the enforcement of law. The politics are putting residents' lives in peril. The politics are getting people killed. This is not something that's just happening somewhere else and will never come home. This is a symptom of a systemic disease. We have grown lazy and complacent in our comforts. Tim Poole often says politics is downstream from culture. What does that say about the way we're living as Americans? What does that say about our culture? Culture, at the end of the day, is crafted by the choices we make as individuals. America has some serious introspection to do. We quite literally need to come to Jesus. The other media blackout I want to talk about is the Recall Gavin 2020 movement. I'm just going to touch on this one because I've already covered it in a few episodes. Now, you might be thinking, but wait, the media is all over this. Yeah, they are now. Now that it's a done deal, now that the goal was reached by over 125%, now that it's inescapable and unavoidable, yeah, now they're covering it. For the duration of the signature collection period? Blackout. Newsom is desperate. This could end his political career. So he's going on left-friendly news shows and smearing the campaign organizers. I can't speak to the specific accusations he's making against the top organizers in the movement. Here's what I can say. Californians want their state back. They want to live free. The people who have gone out every weekend collecting signatures, setting up in parking lots across the state, putting up banners at their home or business that they're a signature collection point, are people who want their state government out of their lives. There is a critical mass of short-sighted, self-absorbed people who lack critical thinking skills messing it up for the rest. But most Californians just want to work, raise their families, and be left alone by the state. Gavin Newsom is a petty tyrant and an embarrassment. And Recall Gavin 2020 was able to collect far more than the required signatures during a pandemic, despite a media blackout. Gavin Newsom can throw all the mud he wants, it doesn't change the fact that the recall gained traction as a result of a single, mind-boggling incident. The now-famous French Laundry Dinner. He dug the pit he's in himself. Now, California, don't squander this opportunity. The state just passed a universal mail-in ballot law. They're setting themselves up to pull another November 2020. Get eyes on. If you don't watch this election, every step... Every location, every count, the chairman, I mean, the governor, will stay in power. By hook or by crook. Watch. Carefully. Or you just may see another 4 a.m. vertical spike. Everyone needs to wake up to the fact that an era has ended. As a nation, we've been coasting basically since the end of World War II. That's over. If you listened to the Henning Prentice Jr. episode, you heard the Prentice Cycle, What happens after apathy? Dependence. What then? Bondage. How does a society free itself from bondage? Great spiritual faith. What happens when a society returns to spiritual faith? Courage, then liberty. I have a suggestion. Let's just choose to skip over the whole bondage part by choosing to return to spiritual faith now. Alright, I'm going to call it there. Till next time, be informed, stay safe, don't do anything stupid.